Can be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We've made our way down to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want to preach this morning on a message entitled, A Call for Separation. A Call for Separation. There's something different about believers. In fact, if I was to ask you this morning, what is the difference between you and an unbeliever? Apart from... I'm saved, they are not. What is the difference? What would somebody besides you say is the difference between someone who is saved and someone who is not? Someone who is a believer and someone who is not. You may say, well, I am loved by God. True. But God loves all. So God loves even those who are not believers. You may say, well, I'm at church today. True. Lost people may be as well, and they are all across America. You may say, well, I, 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 I'm, I'm pretty nice to people. I hope you are. I've met some very nice lost people. You may say, well, I give to the church. Good. Lost people do as well. You may say, well, I, I serve in the church. I'm a teacher or a deacon or, uh, or any type of service in the church. Great. There are lost people in serving positions as well. Not by our intention, but some have infiltrated through the church. I believe today that not every man behind the pulpit is a believer. Just like every deacon that serves may not be a believer. Every Sunday school teacher that may stand in classes across America today may not be a believer. Brother John, I'm, I, I've been out of the country. I've been on the mission field. I think lost people have as well. You go down the list. I love Jesus with all my heart. So can they. I believe that Jesus died and rose again. Good. Even the demons believe that. I try to live right. So do they. I'm a member at First Baptist Church. I think we would fool ourselves if we believed all 500 and some odd members of First Baptist Church are true, devout believers. That there may be some that may just have a profession of faith who have signed a card and there's no fruit and there's no devotion, there's no discipleship in their life. You can go one by one looking at different things and that separates us from lost people. What is the difference between you and someone else? Because if you're basing your relationship with Christ off any of those things that I just mentioned, then you are no different than someone who's out in the world. And as Paul is addressing the church of Corinth, he is talking about not only just the church, but the false teachers and the false leaders and the false professing Christians who have come inside the church to divide the church to bring in a false theology, to say that Paul is not a true apostle, to say what Paul is teaching is not the true Word of God. Paul says in verse 14 of chapter 6, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Communion has light with darkness. What has occurred as Christ with Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of God. As it has been said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and, I, and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from among you. 
Be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. I believe that one of the major issues facing us today is that the church is becoming more like the world instead of the world becoming more like the church. We, instead of keeping our standards high, have learned what it means to cooperate or what it means to be tolerant. Nowhere in Scripture does God command Christians to cooperate or be tolerant to those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. The Scripture is full of admonitions for the church to be holy and to be separate and to be light. And although we want to make a difference towards those who are lost, we are and must be different. That's what holy, holiness means. The church has fallen into the temptation of sin instead of the world being transformed into salvation. So I want us to take this text, and as we look at this text, this is a familiar verse. In fact, we may have our own interpretation but we're going to look and see what it, what it means in context and how we can apply it to our life. But there's two main points I want to share this morning. The first one is this. is to let holiness characterize your life. Let hol- what it means a call to separation means to let holiness characterize your life. What's the difference between you and a lost person? It's not what you do, but it's whose you are. You are a child of the Holy One of God. Therefore, let holiness characterize your life. The Bible says in verse 14, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. When I was a child, even when I was a student, before I got married, before I met Elizabeth, I remember this verse. And I heard it 10,000 times in my life. Don't ever have a relationship with someone who is not a believer. Because the scripture says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. We must have had that poster in our youth room 5,000 times. Everywhere you looked, do not be unequally yoked. And yes, you can apply that verse to that. Not only does that verse teach not to be unequally yoked, but the Bible also, I believe, in fact, marriage by definition is between two saved people. So if you are single today, in fact, the encouragement this morning is you would not have any relationship with someone that you would not eventually marry. Because relationship is not just a fun thing to do. It is a lifestyle. It is a way of life. But I challenge you to have a relationship, a, whether it be a boyfriend or a girlfriend or you're courting, however that may be, that it be someone who loves Jesus. That it's someone who is just like you. Someone who has that same relationship that you have. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It has something so much more than just marriage. Because nowhere in 2 Corinthians have we even talked about marriage. The context of verse 14 has to do with the church. Do not be unequally yoked together. In fact, Paul uses an illustration from the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, it comes from Deuteronomy 22, verse 10. The Bible says, You shall not plow an ox and a donkey together. These two animals have two different natures, natures, two different types of strength, and it would would not be wise to bring them together. 
So Paul takes that analogy and applies it to the church. When it comes to the church, it would be impossible for an ox and a donkey mismatched together. It's a mismatched pair to plow together effectively. Yeah, you can put them together, but you're not going to get anything done because they are different. Believers and unbelievers cannot work together in the spiritual realm because one of you, your father, is the devil and the other, your father, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Two different realms. So Paul says in the church, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Paul is addressing a church of believers. But he's also addressing inside the church those who are false teachers, those who are false preachers, false leaders, those that Satan has has put inside the church to divide and to usurp the authority of Paul as an apostle of God. So Paul says, hey, have nothing to do with unbelievers because in the spiritual realm, you're going in two different directions. Holiness characterizes your life and salvation from God and unrighteousness characterizes those who are unbelievers. You're in two different spiritual realms. So do not be unequally yoked. The false teachers were eager to blend the people of God with pagan worshipers because that hinders the gospel. We were talking a few minutes ago before Sunday school, some of the men in our church, about society, especially when it comes to our, our young people and the the. the uh, brainwashing that is going on from our country and our world to just cooperate with everybody. Everybody just get along. Everybody just be united for the sake of peace. The scripture says, however, no, be holy. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. To infiltrate churches under the disguise of tolerance and cooperation, it's one of Satan's most deceptive tricks out there. Yet he's called us, the Lord, to be holy. There are five rhetorical questions that follow verse 14. And they really define the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. So as we walk through, I want to point out the main points of a believer. Here's what separates us from the world. Number one, we have righteousness. The scripture says, for what fellowship, this is the middle part of verse 14, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? The word fellowship means a partnership. It's a synonym in the Bible for the word fellowship, koinonia, which we'll soon get understand here in just a second. But what fellowship, what partnership has believers with non-believers? He uses these words righteousness and lawlessness. Righteousness is obedience to the law of God, and lawlessness is rebellion against the holy law of God. Christians obey the Lord. Lost people are in rebellion against the Lord. And that separates the two of us. Back in chapter 5 of verse 21, you remember that text where we read a couple of weeks ago, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. What separates you from an unbeliever is that Christ has given you His righteousness. He took your sin and He gave you His righteousness. So when you're out in the world, it doesn't matter whether you're teaching or preaching or giving or attending or missions or, 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 or all the, the lists that we went through. The difference is you are righteous. Righteous. 
You have the righteousness of Christ in you. Which means we live Christ-like. We live to be holy because of what Christ has done. There's a second one. Not only do you have righteousness, but number two, you have the light. You have the light. The scripture says, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, what communion has light with darkness. What, what, you, can't, you can't get any further away. In fact, we learned in chapter 4, listen to this verse, chapter 4, verse 6, for it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You can't get further away from darkness than with light. You have the light. You have the fellowship. You have the truth. You have the truth of the gospel. The word darkness is a word meaning error. John 8 verse 12 says, Therefore Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. If it pours down rain on Wednesday and we uh, will not have the, the Easter egg hunt outside, we're going to move it inside. And what we want to do is to black out our gymnasium for our preschoolers, make it completely dark. And all the preschoolers or parents are saying, do what? <laughs> and then we're going to get word to you to bring a flashlight. And we're going to put those eggs all through the gym floor for our preschoolers. We've got something better for the children. But put those eggs down and they'll have the light. In the midst of all the darkness and the difference, you have the light. And they'll go and find those eggs and all those things. I wasn't supposed to tell you that, but I did. You have the light. What's the difference between you and a lost person? You have the righteousness of God. You have the light of Jesus Christ. The next question he says, what, what accord has Christ with Belial? The word accord there means mutual agreement. It means that you agree on something. Has Christ with Belial? Let's go to the word Belial first because if you're like me, you're like what in the world is that? That's a Hebrew, an old ancient word for Satan. In fact, in the Old Testament, it's not only used for, uh, for our enemy Satan, but it's also used for a realm of wickedness. A thought life of wickedness. And Paul is separating the two. What agreement, or what, what accord, what partnership, what agreement, mutual agreement has Christ, who is the Messiah, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature with Satan. What separates you from unbelievers? You have Christ. And the world is the, father, is the child of the devil. Is the child of the enemy. So that separates. Number four. The scripture goes on to say, what part has a believer with an unbeliever? The word part means share. What, what, what do you share a believer with an unbeliever? Faith, by definition, has nothing to do with unbelief. So you say, I, I, but the difference between me and a, and a lost person, you and, and someone who's not a believer, is, is that you are a believer. Which means you don't just believe in Jesus. I said that. Even demons do that. Even Satan believes that. But you believe to the point where you, uh, by faith, you have, you have given Him your life and trusted in Him by your, as your Savior. So he says here, that's the question, what part is a believer with an unbeliever? And number five, 16, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Not only was the church bringing in 
or the, the, the false teachers bringing in worship of idols, but in the church of Corinth, which was a church that was um, consumed with idol worship. Paul says, what difference is the temple of God and idols? What agreement have they? And then he says in verse 16, for you, for you. And what's neat about that word is plural. He's speaking to the church here. All these other ones are individually. But he says, church, you are the temple of God. The difference between you and the world is that in the Old Testament, God dwelled his presence in the tabernacle and then the temple. And then after the resurrection of Jesus and when the temple was destroyed, his presence is now not in a building made with hands, but is in the church. The difference between you and a lost person, unbelievers, is that you have the presence of Christ in your life. About 20, 19 years ago, I, I was working, uh, I was um, 18, 19 years old, somewhere around in there, and I, and I took my first real job. I, I did landscaping and cut grass and things with some guys from our church in high school years, but this was my first retail real job. I mean, it's a job I, that I got a real paycheck and, and taxes and all those different things that, that was being introduced to my life. I, I, I pay taxes at the first job. Don't, don't think I didn't pay taxes, but, but that check went to my parents and I got what was left of that. But this was where I actually had to check on my name. I had to go to the bank, set up a checking account, all those different things. And I met a guy there, and remember, I had surrendered to the ministry. I was a student at Northwest Community College before I'd gone to, to Blue Mountain. And, and I was working out in the, in the garden center, and, and just like any other young person, we, we, try to, we try to be salt and light. So I had developed a, a relationship, friendship with this man in, in, in the, the store there that I was working at. And um, uh, the gospel was brought up, and I said, well, are, are you a Christian? And his response has stuck to my mind even to this day. He said, well, well John, I, I, I am what you would call a carnal Christian. Honestly, I didn't know what the word carnal meant. I thought, well, well okay, good. What, what, what do you mean by carnal? I, I, I didn't know what to say. I thought this was some uh, 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 realm of Christian life. And I walked away and I thought, I don't think that's a good word. And I don't think that's what Christ called us to be. So I, I went home and I asked my parents and, and made some other conversations. And basically, carnality is worldly. And at the time, I never had the courage to go back and talk to that guy. Honestly, I was scared. Because what he just said was, I, I'm a Christian. But I'm as close to the world as I can possibly get. I, I've trusted in Jesus, but Jesus has not made a difference in my life. And I'm just kind of blending in with the world. Therefore, I'm a carnal Christian. I've never forgot that even today. Among other things I've forgotten in my life, I'll never forget that. Because it's not a, a judgment upon Him, but it's a judgment upon the church today. Is that we want a relationship with Christ and a ticket to heaven. But that's all we want. We don't want to live like we're righteous. We don't want to live like we are the light. We don't want to live like we are a believer or that we have the temple of the Lord in our hearts, that we have Christ. 
but instead just kind of blend in. Paul says, let holiness, let it characterize your life. The difference between you and a lost person is that you are holy. Paul brings out two Old Testament passages, and it's really a combination of several passages from Isaiah and also Ezekiel. He says, as God has said, verse 16, I will dwell in them and and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Number one, not only let holiness characterize your life, but let holiness complete your life. Holiness is a work of progress. And you will not fulfill the requirements of holiness until you see Jesus face to face. That's why in this life, it not only should it characterize, but it should complete your life every step of the way. So how do you live holy? How do you let holiness complete your life? I believe from the text I just read, 16 and, and, and 18, 17 and 18 and, and verse 1 of chapter 7, gives us some, some, some guidance on what it means to be holy and what it means to live holy. He says, I will dwell in them and I will walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people for holiness to complete your life. Number one is to return to personal intimacy with the Lord. When we stray from that intimacy with Christ, we become more like the world. In fact, you can go back in your life and look at where you have fallen, where you have strayed. And the first step for straying is to leave that personal intimacy with Christ. Do you remember when you gave your life to Christ? Some of you went out and bought a Bible. You began to read it. You began to highlight it. You began to journal. You began to pray. You were, you were faithful in church. You never missed a service. You were sharing your faith. You were living out a personal intimacy with Christ. And what Christ was doing in your life was making you holy. Because when you gave your life to Christ, you didn't become perfect in the world's eyes. You became perfect in Christ's eyes because your sins have been washed away. But you're learning what it means to be holy, what it means to be righteous. And the Scripture says, I'm going to dwell with them and I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. It's that personal intimacy with Christ. Therefore, because of the intimacy with Christ, He says, come out from among them and be separate. The context here is the children of Israel leaving the Babylonian exile to come out and be separate. Do not touch what is unclean. Old Testament law to, to, to be defiled was to touch something that was dead or something that was unclean. In our life today, in the New Covenant, in, in the, 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 the New Testament of righteousness is to not touch anything that is sinful, to stay away from it, to be different, and to be holy. The world is not looking for people like them. The world is searching and hungering for something that is different and for people that are different. Students that are different. Dads that are different. Moms that are different. Marriages that are different. And churches that are different. That's what the world is hungering for. And that's what the world is crying out for. So return to personal intimacy with Christ. Number two is to remember your adoption into the family of God. Verse 18, I will be a father to you, 
and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Galatians says it like this in Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 and following. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born of the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth His Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir of God through Jesus Christ, you are a child of the Most High God, adopted into the family, into the kingdom of God. And to return to holiness means to remember that you have been adopted. You can call upon the name of the Lord because of the grace of God. That's what it means to complete holiness in your life. To let holiness be complete. Then number three, not only to return to personal intimacy with the Lord, to remember your adoption to the family of God, but number three is to revive your heart to holiness. Verse 1 of chapter 7, Therefore, because of what has just been said, therefore, having these promises... Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, all filthiness of the Spirit, both body and soul, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That phrase, perfecting holiness, is where that second point, let holiness complete you, that's where it comes from. Perfecting holiness, which means that every day you are holier today than you were yesterday. The great tragedy in our society today is that men today were much holier when they were boys than they are today. That we stress holiness among teenagers and among students, but we forget about it in our life as men. We were better boys than we were, than we are men. And the text says to perfect holiness, to let it complete your life, to revive, to bring back to life the heart of holiness. Do not be unequally yoked together because you are different. We are different. We have righteousness. We have the light. We have Christ. We have faith in Christ. We are a believer. We are the temple of the living God. We must be separate. We must be holy. We must be different. Children, those that are in grade school, be different. Be holy. Students in junior high, senior high, be different. Be holy. Be separate. It's okay not to do what everybody else is doing. But be different. Moms and dads, have a holy marriage. Have a Christ-like marriage. If you're single, have a Christ-like singleness. A Christ-like mindset in every part of your life. We are not called to cooperate. We are called to be holy. We are called to be different. Father, ask today, 
God, as we lead into a, to a time of invitation, I, I pray, Lord, if there is someone today that's lost and they do not know You as their Savior, they don't have, they don't understand, they don't know what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ. God, by Your Spirit, would You give them the strength in just a moment to come. To come and to give their life to Christ. To surrender their life from their sins and surrender their life to You. God, our prayer for the church today is that we be separate. That we cleanse ourselves from all filth in our body and in our soul. And we would let holiness characterize us and let holiness complete us. So the call today is for the church to be separate. Lord, as the church today calls upon You for forgiveness of sin, God, thank You that there is forgiveness. Thank You that there is a cleansing, there is a washing away of the sin that's in their life. God, help us to be different. Thank You, Father, that Your Spirit goes with us every step of the way and helps us to be holy because we can't do it on our own. We need the power of Your Spirit. God, this invitation, Lord, however You lead, there are those I know You've spoken to hearts. For those who need to be saved, may they come. Lord, there may be other decisions that, that people need to make this morning. May we be wise. May we, be, may we listen to You in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.